Anchored is a production of the Classic Learning Test, based in Annapolis, Maryland, reconnecting knowledge and virtue through meaningful assessments. Visit us at cltexam.com slash get started. Welcome back to the Anchored Podcast, the official podcast of the Classic Learning Test. Uh, folks, today we have an exciting guest. Dr. Nicholas Ellis is the founder and president of Christian Halls International, an organization that equips local communities to offer affordable, Christ-centered university study programs by combining local tutorials with distance education degree programs in partnership with a number of evangelical Christian universities. Dr. Ellis grew up in Brazil on the mission field where he was homeschooled with his four siblings. He has a doctorate from Oxford University in theology and religion. His calling is to equip Christian communities to regain the long lost tradition of local lifelong education and soul formation for children, youth and adults as the foundation for flourishing, beautiful, self-governing places. Christian Halls International supports over 300 of these communities across North America, Brazil, and Africa. Dr. Ellis is married to Laura Lee. They and their five children live in North Texas and are passionate about reading history, theology, and the great books, and spending as much time as possible outdoors. Dr. Ellis, welcome. What an honor to have you uh, on the Anchor Podcast. Great to be here. Thanks for having me, Jeremy. So we've talked a number of times offline. You have a fascinating childhood and background. Uh, Tell me about life for you as a child growing up in Brazil. uh, What are some of your early memories? Yeah, it's great. Well, I was blessed to have a a, a godly uh, mother and father. Um, Mom is a uh, Mennonite farm girl from Montana. Um, dad's a Nebraska farm boy. They both felt called to the mission field very early on through the legacy of Jim Elliott and kind of the whole 1950s mission movement. Um, moved to Brazil in the early 90s, uh, which is where I grew up. And um, mom and dad were both passionate about missions, but they were also very passionate about education. Um, and so took their five kids to Brazil, moved a, a 5,000 volume classical library to Brazil for us. And instead of sending us off to boarding school, which would, was kind of the standard approach those days, they kept us home and they decided to homeschool, which wasn't very typical. Um, but they just felt that that soul formation really begins in the home and certainly surrounded by the, the books and the classics that they brought to Brazil. Um, grew up in the North Amazon. Uh, so I was either reading reading literature or I was fishing for peacock bass on the little rivers around uh, North Brazil. And just had an amazing, wonderful childhood. Um, and uh, between planning churches, planning small technical schools, and starting to kind of move into the classical educational space in Brazil, which wasn't really a thing back back at the time. Okay. I, I do want to sidebar and pick your brain about languages just for a, a moment here. Uh, you know, I... My mom was a career French and Spanish teacher, but I was not interested. It was it was kind of that it was always like you'll use it one day, and I was like, no, I won't use it ever. And 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 classical education has really changed my understanding for why we learn languages and how it, it's actually formative. It changes you know who you are. I had this really powerful. Um, I had a, a good friend who lost his five year old daughter uh, to cancer a few years ago. His wife grew up in Brazil. First language is uh, Portuguese, of course. And um, I asked her a couple of years ago, you know, I said, you know, Fabiana, now that you you know both languages so well, you know, what do you prefer? What What is a language that's easier to articulate ideas? And, and I'll never forget her response. She said, actually, 
English. You can typically be more detailed. She said, but if I'm grieving mm. Portuguese, if I want to talk about pain, it, it was this eye-opening, you know, kind of moment for me. Uh, did you grow up uh, speaking uh, Portuguese just as well as English? Uh, do you typically read? And how, how has that been formative for your education, always knowing your other language? Yeah. Yeah. Well, my uh, my my parents were very committed to languages. My dad was doing his his Ph.D. in um, in 16th century uh, reformational thought. And so he was deeply in, engaged in Latin and in Dutch and in Swiss, kind of the whole range of kind of the European languages. So early on, he got us started um, in in Latin and in Greek and those kind of things. Um, but then as we as we moved to Brazil, it was amazing how the foundations that we had in classical languages just opened up the whole world of, mm. you know, uh, pragmatic uh, applied languages, um, learning Portuguese, obviously learning Spanish. We live very close to the, to the uh, Venezuelan border. Um, and all the way through my life, you know, uh, it opened doors for me that I, um, <clears throat> could never have imagined, you know, as a 12 year old kid being forced to do Latin conjugations, <laughs> saying the same thing, I'll never use this. Well, it, in, in this world, in this day and age, it is incredible how much access we have to the global communities. Sure. And uh, when I left Brazil at, um, at 18, 17, and then 18, uh, moved back to the States, uh, mom and dad, basically, you know, they said, we love you and God bless you. And we'll see you in, in four years. And I started my studies and that initiated a, a period of study that was very international. And the language base that I was given was utterly foundational for what I did, you know, so um, did my undergraduate in biblical language and classics. So that was, you know, kind of the next natural step, but then received a uh, kind of a year fellowship in Germany, uh, did my German and theological studies um, at, at, uh, at Stuttgart. Um, from there, I went to Israel to study my Hebrew. Um, and Incredible. Uh, How many languages do you, do you speak, Dr. Alec? Uh, there, there. Are, well, there are uh, quite a few that have studied. I, I hesitate to even claim some, some of okay. the, okay. the fluency side. But you know, certainly the Romance languages. There's a good, solid foundation from Latin, and then applied. You know, kind of across the, you know, Portuguese, Spanish, Italian, French kind of range of languages. Um, but then, you know, German and Dutch were kind of a whole new world. And I love living in Germany. Mm -hmm. That was just an, an, an amazing community of very, very kind people uh, that, that kind of brought me in. And then, of course, Israel with the Semitic stuff, you know, kind of getting into modern Hebrew, classical Hebrew, um, Aramaic, some of those things, um, and uh, and then into the rabbinic studies. So, you know, from there, moving to um, um, to, to Canada, where I did my uh, first master's degree in Dead Sea Scrolls and, uh, and Jewish studies. <laughs> um, at the time I had, I had met my, this, this, I had always thought I would go back to Brazil to meet, to marry uh -huh. a Brazilian. I mean, I was so immersed in Brazilian culture and, uh -huh. you know, as you said, you know, think, pray, breathe, live, breathe Portuguese and the very European Brazilian context that is Brazil, you know, it's just a very, very yeah. distinctive culture. Um, and then I walked into my, <clears throat> um, my third year of college and saw this tall blonde, tall, blonde, gorgeous ballet dancer on the phone um, standing against the wall. And it's like my whole world just completely transformed in that moment. <laughs> um, and so Laura Lee had gone off to study in Africa and to, to, to work at, at a university context in East Africa, Dar es Salaam. 
and um, moved back and we got married and um, we just said, great, where, where is the Lord going to take us? Sure. And I uh, had a professor uh, contact at the University of Oxford. He uh, initiated contact with me and just said, hey, we need somebody that can really focus on the languages, um, but is willing to work across the kind of Christian, Jewish, religious spectrum. We have a place for you. Why don't you move to Oxford? And so uh, we moved to Oxford and spent a marvelous time there. Uh, had our first two children, kind of raised them in Oxford. And then um, it was at that point that I started to really think about what do I want to do with mm. my life? You know, um, I had the academic track in front of me. Uh, that is a delightful life. <clears throat> um, it really is. Um, but uh, I am at my heart uh, a, a field man. I, I love the field. I love local communities local transformation, local flourishing. And that was really a gift for me by my parents, mm-hmm. both on the mission field, kind of working across these different communities. But also, if you go deeper, you know, going back to that um, deeply rooted Anabaptist kind of Mennonite communities where, you know, maybe they didn't know where I was studying in Oxford, but they they knew where their great grandma was buried. Mm. You know, and they knew, you know, multiple generations of faithfulness and godliness and commitment to social flourishing um, within the with within the uh, the context of of God's kingdom. Mm-hmm. And so that was that has always been a deeply rooted part of my own heart, um, especially sure. kind of being pulled out of that, both pulled into the mission field and then to international life and all those kind of things. And if there's a longing inside of me, it's to see that flourishing take place, um, maybe just for my own kids, but certainly for uh, other communities. And especially as we've seen education in many ways, defragment that, that community and, and, and yeah. pull people away from their families and devalue um, the, the, the longstanding um, uh, practice and, and, and structures of the family. Um, I began yeah. to be very, very interested in how we could kind of re-engage with that. And um so interestingly enough, you know, all of this international travel and whatnot boils down to mm. let's find a local space for human flourishing. Like, wow. what does that look like? And so that's 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 kind of been my trajectory as we've gone on the mission yeah. field to here. Yeah, Doctor Ellis, when did I mean you're receiving this amazing, amazing education yourself? Uh, was it during that time you started to reflect on the kind of education? Uh, that the people you met in in Brazil were receiving, and maybe how that could be improved or maybe radically kind of reimagined. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely Brazil that, in some ways, triggered it. It's it's there's this there's a global battle, I would say, but it's very it's very pointed in Brazil, and the primary battle is who who governs the space of human formation. Mm. That that's really the the. the I've never heard it put like that. That is so true. Wow. Um, who, who is the governor of that? Is it um, provosts at universities? Is it presidents of, uh, of of universities? Is it presidents of states and nations? Is it, is it legislature? Um, who is the governor of human formation? And increasingly begin to believe that it was the family, that God mm-hmm. has uh, created a structure for the forming of eternal souls. You you read through C.S. Lewis and you just see the weight that he puts on that, you know, that this is what births and forms the human soul, an eternal being, and who is ultimately responsible for the formation of that soul. Um, Mm. And we have unfortunately uh, given stewardship of that responsibility to poor stewards 
um, who in many ways have neglected um, the core foundational questions of what what is it to be a a, a fully formed soul to be to be a godly human in the image of, of our maker and i <clears throat> begin to read guys uh, begin ex- exposed to um a guy named john senior who was out in yeah, um, Kansas. City. Yep, that's right. And yep. uh, you know, the whole Catholic uh, tradition there. Um, and just re-engaging, you know, what is education for? Is it just mm. data transfer, knowledge transfer? Um, and emphatically, uh, just to show our cards here, it is not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> emphatically, it is not just data transfer. It's not just downloading of information. It's uh, cultivating the the context, the environment, um, and the um the opportunity for soul formation for a mm-hmm. lifelong of, of the good life. And that's what I became very intrigued and interested by, especially in all of these different international cultures, which are so dedicated to the family so, and platonic family and yeah. generationalism and began to see in the States how that was just evaporated. Um, and so when we, when we started to work in Brazil and the reason we launched classical press Brazil, which is basically the first mm-hmm. classical and homeschooling, publishing house in Brazil. Um, we begin to acquire all of these books and programs and curricula and whatnot um, and translating them into Portuguese, mainly because we saw that the state for decades had really taken ownership under the kind of philosophy of a, of a, of a guy named Paulo Freire. Um, Paulo Freire. Um, and it really kind of taken this very strong, I would say, a Marxist ideology that the formation of those souls is the property of the state. And that's really what what kind of triggered this question of self-governance, of who is wow. who is the governor of, of the soul. Um, and um, begin to uh, kind of fight that battle in Brazil. Uh, you know, the first question is, are, are parents even willing to, to self-govern? Um mm. And uh, many of them were afraid to, but actually what what really triggered this is the really strong, radical um, sexual and moral revolution that was happening in Brazil. Um, Parents begin to say, we just cannot go there. (laughs) We're just not willing to hand Mm. our children over to an ideology um, that dehumanizes them and, uh, you know, treats them primarily as as a sexual being and not primarily as someone who's made Ooh. entirely and and wholly in the image of God. Um, that's really where we started to get our, our traction as those parents began to come to us and say, help us. We have no idea what to do, but we just can no longer sacrifice our children oh. on the altar of Baal. You know, as I've tried to kind of wrap my head around the work that you're doing, you know, I, I've thought a lot about it. I, and I'll tell you this, the first time I ever heard anybody say, you know, the Department of Education should be abolished. I'm like, okay, you're like an insane, like alt-right conspiracy theorist. <laughs> And then the more I've like unpacked it and read, like it's it's it crowds out local involvement and ownership. You know, when you have um, this this bigger, larger entity, and it makes the parent or the local community think, well, what what do we know? You know, we're not we're not experts. You know, we don't have all the research. You know that, and uh, and so you surrender. You know, the soul of of your community and your family. You know, it, it becomes outsourced. I mean, it is. I think far more pernicious and destructive than most of us are willing to even imagine. Uh, yeah, and so so talk about that actually, the, this local concept, and then also the if you want introduce Christian halls and and the work that yeah you're doing there to solve that problem. Yep. 
Well, you know, Christian Halls International is really just a, it's a resourcing group, but it's based on, it's based on very longstanding traditions of education from within Jewish and Christian thought. And so let's just kind of go back a little bit in kind of the history of soul formation and education uh, within the Christian communion. Um, you know, really for the first thousand years, uh, certainly even before before Christ, um, you know, within the Jewish context, within the Beit Midrash, you know, the 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 the, uh, the synagogue education model, but then with um, Origin starting his his uh, community at Caesarea or Edessa or these communities, you you had this longstanding tradition of a decentralized, um, human focused community of education that was not controlled by the state. Um, and really the, the monastic communities begin to be built out of that. Um, certainly you have St. Benedict, you know, building these centers of, of study. Um, many people have a, a wrongheaded idea of what the monastery was. They think it was, you know, set apart or stood apart in the sense that they were with removed from society. And actually it's the opposite. They were standing apart from the legal structures, the formal legal structures, and they were built in community. They were built to serve those local contexts. And so that's where a lot of the, you know, Christian formation began to take place. I mean, some of our our greatest minds were trained and even taught within the monasteries. And those were really there to be part of that local community. And, but because crazy abbots do crazy things at times. Um, there's all of this weirdness that's going on and a decentralization. And so the church stepped in and said, you know, we really need to, uh, we need to provide some structures to this. And so the cathedral schools, uh, Oxford and Paris and Tulum and these, these different uh, cathedral schools were set up where you have much more of a, you know, a centralized gathering of scholars. There's more uh, constraints that were put on uh, those 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 institutions. It be, really became institutionalized, and uh, it's not all bad. Like you have amazing things happen within the medieval universities. You know, 1200s, 1300s, 1400s. Um, but what you do have is it starts to extract talent and treasure from local communities. Mm, wow. With very little means of sending it back. Wow. Wow, and so, um, and really, that's kind of how our universities have continued to grow. You have these monstrous, huge, you know, Texas A and M, you know, fifty thousand students that are kind of brought in as eighteen, nineteen, twenty-year-olds, all to this, you know, in a very important for, formative stage in their life. Mm. Parents may have invested eighteen years in their formation, and now we're going to hand them off to a steward and hope that that steward is going to be a godly caretaker of the souls of our children. Mm. And that just has not been the case. <laughs> I think universally we can say with rare exception, you know, our institutions have lost the plot when it comes to the actual forming of souls. And so we were looking at this and we were staring at this in the eye and we were seeing that as we were going community by community all over Brazil, and then increasingly here in the States, um, I did not think that it was viable to start, you know, Christian universities and Christian colleges in every community. I mean, we just don't have the capital for that or the, mm. or the, or the, the wherewithal to do that. Um, and the other alternative was just to put everybody online. Mm -hmm. Well, that has proved to not be a terribly successful uh, option either. You know, there's some, there's some scale questions that we can address and there's some good things that the technology brings to the table but what that does is it completely circumvents any kind of mentorship, formation, apprenticeship, you know, yeah. 
just completely takes it outside of the realm of any kind of human formation, despite the best attempts of our Christian mm. universe to do so. But it's a poor attempt. Um, and so I was looking at both of these and I was staring at the, uh, you know, I was there at Oxford. We were, I was teaching at Wycliffe Hall, uh, one of the one of the permanent colleges there, 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 there at Oxford. And the thing about the Oxford model, <clears throat> um, like you would read about maybe in C.S. Lewis's works or some of those things, is that everybody in the city is a uh, member of the university, but they're also a member of a local college. And this is a concept that we really don't have in the States. And I certainly had no idea when I moved there what this looked like. In fact, I remember wandering around the city, kind of wondering where I actually go to class, having no idea that I was actually matriculated at Wycliffe Hall. Uh-huh. <laughs> Completely. I was just such a foreign concept. Uh-huh. Uh, but that's where your tutorials took place. And so with Marcus Bachmuel, my, uh, my, my supervisor, uh, with other tutors around town, you know, we gathered in these colleges studying for the university exams. So that by the one when by the time that we were to send in these exams or these papers or these essays or my dissertation, they had been peer reviewed, they had been sharpened, they'd been shaped, and there's just the stamp of all of this other input before we ever turn that in. Compare that to your typical online course where you kind of jump into Canvas, bang out an essay, hit send, and the professor's mm-hmm. like, uh, that's an 86. And the sum total of your college education. Um And I just said that we can do better than that. And so what I was convinced of as we had gone to all of these different communities across these different countries is that we have neglected to value the eldership and leadership of the church within these communities. There are amazing God-given talent embedded into the substructures of our communities that in many ways have forgotten and have been neglected in the formation of the next generation. And we don't know what to do with our 65-year-old elders anymore. They don't know what to do with themselves. Yeah. And I just said, you know, maybe this is maybe this is the 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 moment to start to kind of bring back together the cathedral school mm-hmm. with the monastic schools and re rethink what would it look like to re-engage with local community eldership and mentorship. And that that's the kind of narrative story, the kind of historical okay. you know, narrative story of how we got to the point now where we have where we've launched Christian Halls International. Okay. And then t- tell us about kind of the, the current uh footprint. I mean, and, and where you want to be in five or ten years. Yeah, good. So um the first thing to do is, you know, there there were two real main tasks. I had to both acquire uh programs of study accreditation, those kind of things from our universities. And I also had to go uh, recruit mentors and tutors. You have to have both. Otherwise, it just ends up being another online degree program. And so the first thing that I do is, did I, is I went to, uh, we've got about uh, 10 universities uh, that we work with, and we just begin to identify what are the needs that our communities are asking us for. And uh, we identified that there are certain parents and students that just need a single class. They just have a really bad uh, world civ professor at their local community college, and they just need an alternative class. And so we can enroll them in one of our classes at one of our universities with a godly uh, instructor, and they can have a local mentor or tutor that's working them through that through that class. They receive a transcript from our university, and we just kind of solve that problem child of a class. That's kind of the lowest the lowest solution that we could bring to the table. Well, then people begin to say to us, "Well, if you can solve that problem." What if you could solve things like 
knocking off the whole general education, you know, first two years of college, you know, your uh, psychology and philosophy and uh, mm. cultural anthropology and world civ and English comp classes. And uh, a guy named Andrew Pudawa came to us, a really delightful guy named Andrew We, we just had Andrew Pudawa on the podcast two weeks ago. That's oh, great. fantastic. Delightful, yep. delightful man. Just one of the kindest individuals I've ever met. And, uh, you know, began to talk to him. And he said, well, we have a really quality writing course at mm. Institute of Excellence in Writing. And we have a lot of students that would like to take that for college credit instead of going and taking a subpar course at one of their community colleges. And uh, so we worked together with Donnelly College in Kansas City and then with Southeastern University in Florida, and we're able to accredit that as the English Comp 1 and 2 class. And with hundreds of parents and students that have come to us saying, we would like to take that class uh, for our uh, English that is That's amazing. That is so cool. Wow. Putting these two things together. It's a win for the college. It's a win for, yeah. It's a win for the college. It's a win for the parent. It's a win for the student using curriculum that we know and trust instead of yep. some random professor that may or may not show up that's in alignment with with uh, the kind of formation that we want for our children. Again, it's about who gets to govern that space. Is it mm-hmm. some anonymous, faceless professor of record, or is it the community of faith that says, this is what we are tasking you, the university, to do to serve us in our community? Are you facing opposition in South America? What has that been like? Yeah, well, we are facing opposition, certainly politically. Um, We were able to, it was completely uh, illegal at the federal level for forever. And five years ago, we were able to uh, get some legislation passed that decriminalized this kind of education at the uh, national level. Wow. Um, Decriminalized. And this is wild. Yeah. Um, Not protected. Not constitutionally protected, but at least decriminalized. Good stuff. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, and then um, and was able to present and just ask, answer the question by the uh, president of the Senate, who said, "You know, what give what would give you the right or the ability to train your own children?" I mean, that was the mm. question on the table, and I just told my story. You know, and if we can do this from the jungles of Amazon and end up at the University of Oxford, we can do this for every family in every Christian home in Brazil. Um, that was kind of a kind of a defining moment of that of that uh, of that debate. However, there are still across different states. There are many there are 27 states in Brazil and state to state. There's still a lot of uh, a lot of opposition. Um, but we have parents who are just utterly fundamentally committed um, to the to to taking back this responsibility that they that they have the responsibility, not just the right, but the responsibility to be involved, deeply involved in the forming of their children's souls. Um, Uh, How can folks listening to this uh, get involved, support your work? What what are the needs uh, that that Christian Halls has? Well, at this point, we have about uh, 300 degree programs from dual credit all the way through PhD. You know, we've acquired uh, an enormous amount of support from our university partners. We have the mm-hmm. right to set a price point that is non-debt incurring, pay as you go, because oh. we really want to annihilate the debt problem that, yeah. is, that has become associated with 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 higher education. So solving the debt problem, um, getting out from underneath Title IV, getting out from underneath government oversight, which is an abomination, mm-hmm. should never have happened mm-hmm. in the first place. Um and uh, you know that that is now all kind of in gear and kicking into high gear. Um, what we have to do is we have to find local 
uh, tutors and mentors that are subject matter experts that are willing to stick their hand up and say, I would love to take a role in this. And so I'll give you kind of a couple stories on what that what that looks like. Um, <clears throat> we're now bundling these programs together uh, for specific kind of purposes and outcomes. So we have an entrepreneurship and business program where we're bringing kids in. Um, we work with an organization here in Texas called M5. It's a it's a, it's a Christ centered um, uh, business that sets up restaurant franchises. And so they uh, gave us a store out in West Texas. Um, we have uh, filled that store both with an operator who's now on a, uh, he's a, he's a homeschool kid who is on a uh, uh, work to own program. He'll own that sure. store for three years. And we are just filling that store with uh, godly youth who are there to work, learn how to work. They're also paying for their dual credit and undergraduate uh, business mm-hmm. programs. Um, and they are learning how to kind of restitch the fabric of faith and work in this little town in West Texas. That's now growing because of that one little restaurant that decided, hey, we want to really invest in the human side of our business. Wow. That's now growing into the Mitchell County Christian Community College. And it's really fueled by um, yeah, local mentors standing, you know, raising their hand up and say, hey, I'll take algebra. <laughs> I'll take theology. You know, I'd love to tutor. Uh, uh, you know, economics. And so what we're doing is a human resource driven program. Um, And uh, so watching that develop in in West Texas, um, you know, now starting to say, what are the other kinds of communities that we can reach uh, reach into? So we worked with Southeastern University to develop a great books and 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 classical studies program and associates and bachelors in the great texts of the Mm -hmm. Western tradition, because we saw that a lot of our uh, homeschools and our classical schools didn't have an option for dual credit because many of our universities don't even know how to think <laughs> in that mm-hmm. context. And so this is an amazing BA uh, that allows uh, on a course by course basis of theology, philosophy, the trivium, um, the great mm-hmm. works, the great books um, that uh, local tutors can decide, hey, we're going to we're going to work through this book. We're going to submit the essays and exams and 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 papers that need be to be submitted and will be graded by the professors of record at the university. But it really is a tutor-driven um, experience. It's very similar to the kind of great the great books program at, at Oxford. And so, if we have and in that case, we have to have local tutors that are part of those classical schools that want to say, "I'm willing to go one step beyond my high school." Mm-hmm. And we're really challenging our high schools to stop thinking of themselves as a 10th through 12th or 9th through 12th mm-hmm. kind of Prussian grade model and actually think of themselves as a local center of soul formation, of human okay. formation. And if I can get those tutors and those instructors to take a 13th year, you know, dual credit through 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th grade, but take a 13th grade and say, you know, we have a community that you can don't don't jump into an online program. We're here to work with you. You know, we those are the kinds of buy in. That's the kind of buy in that we're looking mm-hmm. for in this kind of uh, great books program. And so we're designing these different programs to fit the needs of local communities as they come to us. The number one request we actually had this year was for Christian trades. I had I am not uh, a trade guy, okay. right? Um, I'm a classicist and I'm a, and I'm an antiquities geek, but a guy walked into my house about three years ago to fix our HVAC. Um, 
and he just spread Jesus through our whole house. Mm. It was it was an amazing moment of here is a guy dedicated to his craft, um, loving on my kids, ministering to my wife, serving me. And I just said, where would you go to receive Christian worldview formation and the trades? Wow. He said, brother, there's not a single accredited Christian trade school in the state of Texas. Wow. Yeah. We have abandoned that space a hundred mm. years. And so that's another area where I had to go back to my universities and say, I need an associates, a licensure, a bachelor's in skilled trade, because we are, mm. we are abandoning that whole area. And wow. so now we have those degree programs. We have degree programs at the associates and bachelors where they can come in and do a good general ed humane studies program and get licensure in their skilled trade of general contracting or welding or HVAC or those kind of things. But that does not work without local mentors in their trade willing to stick their hand up mm -hmm. and say, I will take people with me. I will apprentice people in my program. I will invest in them and disciple them. So really what we're looking for is primarily people who are willing to come in and say, um, I would like, I, I'd like to be involved in my county. And we're really thinking yeah. county by county. How do we go county by county and identify where are the human resources that want to be part of this program? So that, that would be our number one every day yeah. asking people if they would want to be part of this. Dr. Ellis, it's, it's incredible work uh, and the impact that you're having on, on so, so many lives uh, is kind of mind boggling to think about. Uh, we always end the anchor pod by just talking about uh, the book that has been maybe most formative for our guests. So you've got an incredible library behind you. So think <laughs> of the book that maybe you've reread the most. Maybe you go back to every year. Yeah, well, that's a great question. Um, I, I love Lewis. I love reading through C.S. Lewis. Kind of, I remember uh, sitting kind of in Oxford, just reading through his literature. We found actually a book of his in a, uh, it was it was a, a used book um, stall, um, it just in the in the square, and uh, it uh, it's the weight of glory, and uh, and um, the lady who had bought the book actually had a letter written to her from C.S. Lewis in that book. Come on, um, that we as we opened up the book, the letter <laughs> fell out, <laughs> and just kind of inhabiting that space. You know, that's been that's been very very formative for me. Um, wow. But beyond beyond Lewis, I I really think that um, you know reading through uh, reading through the medieval greats and just mm -hmm. kind of seeing the way they see the world. Um, mm. Reading through um, uh, guys like like Chrysostom and Irenaeus and those guys that. That is the that's the 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 human heart and mental space that I want to inhabit, and I'm trying to figure out how in this modern context. And you can read through things like you know, um, um, uh, the rise and triumph of the modern self. Carl Truman wrote a great book this mm -hmm. year talking about you know what is it that that we've bought into. That shows the problems. Where is the antidote? Mm -hmm. You know, how do we kind of re reimagine ourselves as a within the image of God, within human flourishing, and really starting to rethink what is what does that space look like? And I and I find the answers to those in in uh, in our uh, in our church fathers. That's really the space that I wouldn't have it. Love that. Uh, again, we are here with Dr. Nick Ellis, uh, founder and president of Christian Halls International. Uh, Dr. Ellis, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you very much, Jeremy. God bless you, brother. Thanks for listening to this episode of Anchored. 
If you enjoyed it, please be sure to leave a rating or review on your podcast platform of choice. And remember to subscribe and share with your friends and colleagues. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time.